Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the February 17th episode of Poets and Muses. We chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as myself on Twitter at Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at the upper right-hand side of our SoundCloud Poets and Muses page. Today we have Lupe Castro as our guest poet, with whom I will be discussing the poems Neighborhood and What We Follow. Before we turn to Lupe, however, I'm going to go over all the poetry-related events taking place in the Valley during the week of February 18th. On February 18th, Monday, from 6 to 9 p.m., Cafe Tuba African Coffee Shop will be hosting its weekly Speak Easy Cafe Tuba Open Mic at El Zarawar Restaurant, which is at 7812 North 27th Avenue in Phoenix. On Tuesday, February 19th, from 6 to 8 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop at the Chandler Community Center, which is at 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler. From 9 to 11 p.m., King Kong will be hosting his weekly The Underground Experience at 2601 on Central, which is at 2601 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. You can sign up for the mic starting at 7.30 p.m. On Wednesday, February 20th, from 6 to 8 p.m., Gin Society will be hosting its Writer's Workshop at K Main Street Learning Lab, which is at 126 West Main Street in Mesa. From 8 to 11 p.m., Poetic Soul Phoenix will be hosting its weekly open mic at Club Downtown, which is at 702 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up for the mic starts at 7 p.m. On Thursday, February 21st, from 6 to 8 p.m., Arizona Humanities will be hosting The Written Body, a reading and conversation with Eloisa Amazgua, Andrea Avery, and Kristen Chen at the New City Phoenix Student Auditorium, which is at 1300 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. From 6 to 8.30 p.m., the first of a two-part writing workshop with Meredith Marin called the Poetic Imagery and Insight will be taking place at Changing Hands Bookstore, which is at 6428 South McClintock Drive in Tempe. From 7.30 to 9 p.m., District 4 Poetry will be hosting its monthly poetry open mic at Jared's Coffee, Tea, and Gallery, which is at 154 West Main Street in Mesa. Signing up for the mic starts at 7 p.m. On Friday, February 22nd, from 6 to 9 p.m., the 2019 Local to Global Justice Forum and Festival will kick off with a free evening of radical imaginings in music and poetry, which will be taking place at the Phoenix Hostel and Cultural Center at 1026 North 9th Street in Phoenix. And now let us turn to our guest poet of the week, Lupe Castro. Hi, Lupe. Thank you for coming on to Poets and Muses. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a current junior in high school. Uh, I just started writing poetry about a year ago, but I've been writing since I was really young. I've written like short stories, different types of like essays and different things like that but I never got into poetry especially spoken word until um, this past year. Okay and what made you decide to go into poetry? 
it wasn't at my will. It was at my friend's will. She didn't want to <laughs> go to a poetry club that we have at our school. She didn't want to go alone. Okay. And so she kind of dragged me along, and mm-hmm. I followed her, and I really got connected mm-hmm. um, with myself, if that makes any sense. Like yeah. I really got to find myself and be able to understand myself more through poetry, so I just kind of like got stuck in there and or not stuck but I really cherished going there a lot more right right yeah and it shows in your poems that I've heard you read today you brought us your poem neighborhood yes would you like to read that to us yes so this is called neighborhood um, and it's written in the perspective of a mother in a low-income neighborhood or what people like to call the hood or the ghetto mm-hmm. I can hear the cars speeding down my street, decorated in the colors of incarceration. Red, white, and blue no longer mean freedom in this neighborhood, in my neighborhood. This morning, I tried calling my son. He didn't answer, and I worry. I worry that maybe last night's gunshots hit a little too close to home. I worry that I will get a phone call soon from either a hospital or a police station. I worry that maybe while trying to rise from my past, I fell back and I brought my kids down with me. The ambulance rushed down a minute later, whining and crying as if it already knew someone had already taken their last breath. As if it already knew someone's blood had already stopped circulating, I already knew he was gone. Because in this neighborhood, they don't shoot to injure, they shoot to kill. I pray for the mother that will go down 17th Avenue to the cemetery this week. I pray myself to sleep, thinking how I could have saved my family from this life. I remember I tried to shield my children from this reality. I remember telling them not to go out after the streetlights are on. I remember telling them not to talk to those people. I remember hoping one day I could rely on the police for situations like this. But you see, the police no longer bother with us. They no longer help, and we rely on ourselves for protection. Every day is a new challenge for survival, and I think I'm tired of fighting. I think I'm tired of fighting for something that can never be won. I think I'm tired of new struggles that arise every day. I think I'm tired of this neighborhood. I think I'm tired of my neighborhood. Thank you. What made you decide to write this particular poem? Like I mentioned, it's from the perspective of a mother in that neighbor, in that type of neighborhood, and I came from that neighborhood. I was raised in that mm-hmm. kind of environment, and um, although it didn't personally happen to me, I saw it happen to my family members and people that were close to me, where something led them down the wrong path, and it was really heartbreaking to see them go down this journey, especially mm-hmm. sometimes alone, where they feel like they don't have any support or they feel very alone Um, and so uh, I felt that although a lot of that gets attention where the individual gets attention because they're going through that Mm -hmm. sometimes the family doesn't and they don't see the other perspective at home right right how the the rest of the family are affected by what's going on to them right and I really appreciate you giving us a little bit of a glimpse into that through your poem. I wanted to find out, there, there are some lines that really struck me, such as right, red, white, and blue no longer mean freedom in this neighborhood. What do you want to convey? What meaning do you want people to take away from that line? I think that when I wrote that line, what was going through my head was more people are being incarcerated 
for the actions that they have taken, which is understandable. You always want the person to pay the price for the crime that they've committed. Right. But they're not trying to help them before it gets to that point. Um, right. A lot of times they just kind of leave them where they are and they hope for the best, but they don't really do anything to make sure that they go down the right path and that they don't have to resort to drugs or violence mm-hmm. or anything that will end up having them behind bars. Right, right. What do you think, given your first-hand experience with some of these that, events that you described, what do you think would be helpful if, if you had the year of policymaker? Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? I think that more attention needs to be brought to these circumstances. So I do believe that there should be more programs that are more outreaching towards this community, especially when it's children that have older siblings and they're seeing that this happen and going down in their homes. I think it's especially important then to them um, so that they don't have to follow the same path and they can create their own path towards success. Right. So I think creating programs would um, be especially important, um, especially with policemen or firefighters leading these programs Mm -hmm. so that they don't get a tainted or stained view of Mm -hmm. these really important and special parts of our communities, you know. Right, right. And speaking of the police, um, you, you do mention later on that I remember hoping... I could one day rely on the police for situations like this, but you see the police no longer bother with us, they no longer help, and we rely on ourselves for protection. Mm-hmm. So it sort of ties into what you were saying. I mean, is that the hope that you want the police to come in so that the relationship, you could have a better relationship? Yes. Part of it is that I do hope that the police do get involved so that there is a better relationship between the police and like minors especially in this day and age where everything is very tense but it was also very much targeted towards the fact that a lot of times the police will come and they will because they'll get a call they'll Mm -hmm. come in they'll see what's going on but let's say it's domestic violence and they won't do anything it happens over and over again and you keep hearing these like terrible stories on the news that the woman called the police several times or that you know children are being abused in their own homes and different things like that so Mm -hmm. a lot of times like the police will just be like oh you know it's it's okay or uh, we'll come back and check in later but they don't and so it just leads to more problems so that's why uh, I really pointed that out uh, where I hope that we can rely on the police more and we can have that security with us. Right, right. And as you said before, to also help them to know the people in these neighborhoods better, to know them as people, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, to really humanize the police as well, um, mm-hmm. as well as the people that are in the community. Exactly. I think that we have a really uh, divided country on whose fault it is for what it is. Right. And so I think being able to build bridges instead of burning them mm-hmm. would solve that problem. Right, right. I think in certain areas of the country, certain communities, there is that effort being built. Mm-hmm. And so it would be nice to see that replicated in, in the neighborhoods that you are talking about. Yes. I think it makes sense. And from your perspective, from somebody who's so young to already have come to this conclusion, it's sort of frustrating when older people don't. 
yes. come in and help, right? Yes, it gets really frustrating when they're when a lot of older people are just like, oh well, you know, if they would have just listened, if they would just do this or do that, but it's not that simple anymore. It's a lot. It's a very complicated problem, mm-hmm. and it needs real solutions rather than just saying something. It, it takes action, right. and that's what we're lacking a lot of right now. Right. Right. Yeah. Solutions takes a lot of collaboration, as mm-hmm. you said, and sometimes. For these people who have the resources to come into the neighborhood and listen to the people in the neighborhood mm-hmm. to find out what resources they need mm-hmm. would also help. Yeah, it's really sad when you hope that the government is trying to help these communities, but it's really sad that you know a lot of the public schools are like not being as funded as they should be right and so it it really does take a toll on the students and a lot of times they just start dropping out at a certain point because there are not enough resources in the schools to help them it's tragic it really is um seeing that these people that have such a bright potential and like bright futures aren't being cared for in that way where they're being seen as a father rather than someone that can be the next Bill Gates or Mm -hmm. someone really big and important that will really transform our future. Right, right. So you want the government to invest in the people that you see have the potential, Mm -hmm. but... I mean, do you feel like they're being thrown away in some ways? In some ways, I feel like they're forgotten about, like they're put on the back burner. Um, They're like, yeah, you know, we need to help out this community right here, but we also have this really urgent thing right here. And so we'll we'll take care of that later and we'll do this right now. You know, and a a lot of it right now is like drugs and different things like that. But they don't realize that that all leads back to the same problem, that these communities aren't being funded enough to help them, um, or at least the children aren't being looked after well Mm -hmm. enough to be able to avoid all of these future problems like drug abuse and homelessness Mm -hmm. and, you know, all these really big problems right now in California and different states like that. Right, right. But for people, let's say people who are listening to this and they say, well, but that responsibility should be the parents. What do you say to that? I think it is on both. Uh, It falls on both the government and the parents. Of course, you always have those parents that really don't care for their children. They just kind of leave them and let them do whatever it is. And that's really unfortunate. But in that case, I feel like that's where the government has to step up. Because in every single government that you see worldwide, one of their core things that you see the government do is take care of their people. They're supposed to take care of their people. And that's what makes a functioning government. And so however you may interpret that, I feel that when I interpret it, I see the government helping the people that need it the most. And Mm -hmm. I feel like if the parents aren't doing it, then those are the people they need to be looking after to making sure that they don't become or what their future actions may do don't become a big problem, like how I mentioned before, drug abuse and violence and right. you know, all these different things. Right, right. Invest in them now so we don't yes. all pay later as a society. Exactly. Right. Wow. Well, certainly listening to you gives me hope for the new generation, the younger generation, and I really, really appreciate you putting your views so cogently to hopefully help people who 
might not have a very positive view of certain communities to understand better and hopefully change their minds. Yeah, that's really what I was trying to get through with this poem. It's bad now, but there's hope. And right. you can see through the perspective of the mother in the poem. She she says that she's tired of this neighborhood, but she, she still there's still like a glimpse of hope at the end of the tumble tunnel there's still a light that she looks forward to i think that's kind of where i liked to end it um at that note where you know she's still kind of like i'm tired of it but throughout the entire poem she's kind of like i'm still gonna get through this i i still believe you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean you definitely see her struggle mm-hmm. seeing in her recall of what she tries to do for her children and that her hopes for the future. So it's it's great that you still see the hope mm-hmm. and that there is still time to mm-hmm. fix these problems. Yeah. As an extension to your poem mm-hmm. and talking about how people behave and why pe- people behave the ways that they do and why we end up with the sort of society that we have that I chose my poem, What We Follow, which I'm going to read now. What We Follow. Let those without sin cast the first stone was uttered to equalize, saving a life in one indelible parable. Though the saying proliferates, we've forgotten its meaning. Now adjectives, verbs, and nouns launch like deadly projectiles Though we refuse to listen to the whole story, we prefer to side with the aggressors. We all want to be winners, never mind how we get on the pedestal. A carpenter may have urged we take the higher road, but we prefer to follow the advice of an earthly prince's strategist. We are practical in our daily living, exposed to a death more permanent than the son of the Almighty. We can only count on the protection of gold and brawn. We don't know who resurrect us in the morn. So it's better planning to focus on the here and now. We're accustomed to the survival of the fittest. It's trained us to win by any means. Nobody wants to end up with a crown of thorns. Why shoot for higher ideals when staying close to the ground precludes the need to fight gravity, conserving energy. We obey the laws of thermodynamics, even though we may still deny science. Ah, how we love to rationalize, to compensate for our incompetence. We weren't made to comprehend all-encompassing wisdom, so we stake out our corner of expertise, siloing our knowledge from that of others, feeling giant in our own small fishbowl, forgetting the other parts of the known and unknown universe. Ego and humility duke it out, like the eternal fight between God and Lucifer, darkness that have fallen from light. That was amazing. I really liked this piece, especially when I was reading it. I was so taken aback. Especially with, uh, well, several pieces, several lines that you've written. For example, we all want to be winners, never mind how we get on the pedestal. That one really hit me really hard because, you know, it's true. You see it in everyday life. You always see the quote-unquote friendly competition. But really, is it really friendly in people's minds? They always kind of are rooting for themselves. Right, right, exactly. And good sportsmanship. 
mm-hmm. not just in sports, but in all different areas of life, you don't see that as often as practice. And going back to what you were talking about in your poem, uh, when I was reading it just now again, is that when you have an environment where nobody else is helping you, and when you have no hope of other people helping you, then all you can do is to win for yourself, and you can't think of others. Yeah. Um, we all want people to behave in almost a saintly way, but it's not always possible when the conditions, when the environments they're surrounded by doesn't offer them anything else. Yeah, I agree. It's really difficult to be able to prosper and to, like you said, act in a saintly manner mm-hmm. when really everything around you is basically rooting against you. It's kind of as if everything is set up against you. So it's really hard to be able to get past that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think both of our poems really show that where you, at a certain point, you have to just really focus on yourself and just try to survive right right and when you have so little choice sometimes you do what you think is available and that might not be the correct way quote unquote as other people who have more resources might see it Mm -hmm. and not everybody can act like a saint yeah it's true it's it's really hard to walk in other people's shoes and some people choose not to Mm -hmm. and that's kind of a problem that we see nowadays where People say a lot and they don't really put themselves in other people's shoes and they don't realize what's going on in other people's lives and they choose to be ignorant um, Mm -hmm. rather than try to resolve their ignorance, you know, kind of to like put it in simpler terms so it's understood better. Uh, Let's say I don't know much about sports Mm -hmm. and I'm ignorant in that aspect, but I can choose to be ignorant and just choose not to know anything or... I can really research everything and watch all different types of sports and understand what an interception means or like different things like that. Right. And it's really up to the choice of the person. What do you want to do in this aspect? But I can't talk much about sports because I don't know much about that. So why should I say something on that if I don't know much about it? You know, right. and that's kind of where my ignorance would show. And that's right. when I could choose to say something or to just shut up and like learn (laughs) you know and I think more people need to understand that just because you know a little bit doesn't mean you know everything right or enough enough yes exactly yeah as you said it seems like a lot more people they just go with whatever opinion that's Mm -hmm. off the top of their head they're not as reflective as somebody like you who is willing to admit that there are things that she doesn't know or he doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, There are too many people who are just more ready to just voice their opinion even if they don't know much Mm -hmm. and they don't even think about that they don't know that much about the subject. Yeah, it's it's kind of scary when you think about it that there's so many people in this world that really act upon the first thing that pops in their head or something that was passed on to them and Mm -hmm. they never investigated it for themselves. It's kind of haunting, but uh, I think our world is moving more and more towards thinking more critically and being a little bit more aware of what everyone is saying. So I I have hope that people will come around, Um, but it's crazy. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's wonderful to to have that hope, and I think especially in this day and age that you do see people who who are coming around, who are willing to invest the time, and some of it is the fact that a lot of us don't have much time to yeah. invest in different subjects that we don't know much about. Mm-hmm. But some of it goes back to not even admitting to the ignorance. Yes, yeah. I think that's a a big problem where. You- you just don't admit to it, and you're just like, oh, well, I know everything about that. Are you right. kidding me? Why would you question me? Right. That can be simply resolved with being open-minded and just hearing the other person's point of view, their perspective, right. and that really will lead to something greater, something better. Yeah, going back to this admitting ignorance thing, to, to sort of think about we can't all be experts in everything mm-hmm. that yeah. we know. So to, to just say, oh, you know, there's somebody else who might know more than I do. Let me speak with them about it. Even if that expert is not somebody who holds a degree in that mm-hmm. particular subject matter, but because they live the experience. Yes. They have a different sort of real-life expertise mm-hmm. that somebody else who might have an opinion or hold a very strong opinion on it might not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like the saying, a jack-of-all-trades is a master of none. Right. And (laughs) I think that that really goes to show when you know a little bit about everything. It's not beneficial to you as much as having someone that knows that particular thing um, a lot more than you do. Because if you know a little bit about everything, it's, it's okay. You can build on it and everything, but you don't have something that you're especially good at that mm-hmm. someone can come to you for, you know? Right, right, right. Uh, or, you know, somebody who is a jack-of-all-trades is suited to other things mm-hmm. and not necessarily to give an expert opinion on yes. one certain thing. But maybe they have uh, uh, some understanding to know where to find the expert mm-hmm. to get more information. Those are really good points. Thank you. So what really influenced you to write this piece? I only written this recently and sometimes poems just come to me through an accumulation of experiences. Mm -hmm. I can't point to a specific moment where I said, oh yeah, I have to write this poem. There are, there, I do have poems like that. Yeah. But this is more, I guess because there is a growth of religious fundamentalism Mm -hmm. in this country and emphasis of it. But it seems like those very people who emphasize on that fundamentalism are not practicing it or are not adhering to the principles that they want everybody else yes. to adopt. Yeah. So I wanted to point to the discrepancies between the two, how what we say and we, what we actually do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to touch on that as well, the fact that so many people don't practice what they preach, right. and they go in off on a sermon, and they go and they say like different things, like, you cannot say profanity, and, you know, you need to stay loyal to your spouse, and, you know, different things like that, like the Ten Commandments, you know, mm-hmm. they preach that, but a lot of times... It's those same people that turn around and do exactly what they just told you not to do. Right. And it's hypocritical. It's, it is it's, very hypocritical, yes. Yeah. And sometimes I almost think they are preaching that exact thing because they cannot control it within themselves. Yeah. So they want to control it in other people. Yeah. 
Yeah. I agree. That's it's a very common quality in all of us, I think, that mm-hmm. we're all a little bit of a hypocrite, but it's really are you willing to admit it again? Right. Know? Are you willing right. to say, Yes, I've done that, but I'm I'm willing to change or right. you know, different things like that. Right, exactly. I mean, in order for us to better ourselves, become better as a community, as a country, as the world, we have to first admit that we've done something wrong Mm -hmm. and that we're willing to change that wrong. Yeah, and be able to uh, build up our credibility because as soon as you're caught in that lie, like, you're just going to be like, oh, no, I didn't do it. Or if you do admit to it, people aren't going to trust you as much anymore. It's something that you have to be cautious with when you want to redeem yourself after you've done something that was probably not as honorable as other people would want you to be. Right. But I think that it takes a lot of, like how you said before, um, reflecting mm-hmm. on yourself and being able to say, yes, I did that, but here's how I'm going to improve on myself. Right. Or here's how I'm going to change or you know like different things like that really it really uh, makes a difference it does make a difference and to follow up with actions and not Mm -hmm. just say oh I'm gonna do blah 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 one two three and then nothing happens yeah and you expect people to forgive you for just saying that I'm going to do this this and that right yeah yeah there's this famous quote I don't remember exactly how it goes but it goes something along the lines of I trust more in the scissors than than I do in the pencil. And this quote, although it refers to the writing process, I feel Mm -hmm. like it's pretty universal. Mm -hmm. And the way when I first read it, I interpreted it as actions. And so I trust more in the action of what the scissors does because, you know, those are permanent. You can't uncut something. Mm -hmm. The pencil, you can easily erase something. And you can, um, you know, even tear the paper and it's no longer valid. Right. Even if you do erase, you still see the markings of it. It's no longer as permanent as you would want it to be, you know. Right. I think that actions are really what should be the foundation of what we do. So, like, if we say something, the only reason that it should be valid is if later on we have actions to back that up. Right. So not necessarily believe everything that everyone says, but believe what they do. Right, right. Yeah. It's funny because um, I just interviewed someone recently mm-hmm. who also spoke about the same thing, and he's got a few decades on you. But, <laughs> you know, so it's really nice to see this sentiment that's being repeated across generations mm-hmm. is that we want to see people who are genuine, who follow yes. their words with their actions, to, who can back it up, as you said. Yes, we want more authentic people. Yeah. And a lot of that goes to reflecting on our communities nowadays and seeing, um, because nowadays people my age are saying, oh, that person is so quote unquote fake. You begin to think, are they fake to you? Or mm-hmm. like, or are you the one that's being fake? Because you can no longer trust people, especially my age, because mm-hmm. you know everything is all about drama and all of these different things. And so it's, it's hard to, be authentic in some circumstances but it's not impossible and I feel that it again it's all about perspective you you need to be able to see well why are they fake why why would you claim them to be that right um why would you label them as that and it really is hard to see all of the different perspectives but I think it's the most beneficial way to go about situations rather than just believing that one person 
right you know and that one perspective yeah that one perspective and um in a way I feel like it's very unauthentic to yourself if you just believe that one person because how would you as a person feel if something was said about you and someone else believed that person it's it's unfair to you that they wouldn't come to you um, to see the whole story and so that's um, that that also ties back into your in, into your poem, mm-hmm. where it says, "Though we refuse to listen to the whole story, we prefer to side with the aggressors." And I, I feel like that really ties it up nicely. The whole we'd rather choose one person to side with rather than seeing everything that's going on in the situation. Right, right, and it also goes back to what you were saying before about hearing a rumor and just believing it. Mm-hmm rather than looking at different perspectives. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to become entirely objective. Mm-hmm. But if you look at as many sides as possible, then you get more of the story mm-hmm. than just one sliver of it. Yeah, And that's what the core system is based on, the ideal. Mm-hmm. Because then you get somebody to testify. The other side is supposed to be able to examine that testimony. Mm-hmm. And the same with the opposing party. And the same with journalism. It's supposed to not having a side, mm-hmm. but to listen to all the sides and let the story tell itself and let the merits come through, mm-hmm. through the presentation of the various sides. And that's what made me think when you were saying that before. I mean, have you thought about going into journalism? It seems like you have that reflection, that desire for objectivity for it. I've always been a fan of journalism. I really like to look at different stories from the most unbiased view. Mm-hmm. A few summers ago, I went on this uh, summer program where I went to ASU here in, in Phoenix. I stayed at the dorms for a week, and okay. it was this nonpartisan program called junior state of america so it's all about politics and Mm -hmm. legislation and different things like that you know and so i went on this trip and we went to go see the cronkite school of journalism that they have here we were having a tour we went into like one of these rooms where they have different things from world war ii and i was looking at all of the different artifacts that they had in there and i came across this newspaper Mm-hmm. And it was underneath the glass, so I couldn't mm-hmm. see it very well. Right. And I also didn't have my contacts in that day, so I couldn't see it very well. Right. Uh, it was very blurry, but the tour guide was telling us that it was one of the biased news reportings from Germany or one of the parties that Germany and Italy and those countries were a part of. She read off a little piece of it, and it was really crazy because if I would have read that in that time period. I probably would have believed it, too, if that was the only thing available to me. It was a fascist yes, newspaper article. Yes, it was a fascist um, newspaper article. It was really eye-opening because when you're not open to all these different stories and different um, resources where you can find your own truth mm-hmm. or, or the real truth, mm-hmm. it is really difficult to be able to side um, with the opposing party when... Right what you're being offered is telling you that they're the enemy, you know? So I have thought about it of doing journalism to find the whole truth and being able to inform the public on different things where so that they don't feel like they're being cheated, um, especially with politics. And a lot of times 
you read the, for example, the 14th Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, you read it and you see that, oh, it's about nobody being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people don't know is that at the end of the 14th Amendment, there's this like very little article that says also any law that applies nationally also applies to every state. Mm-hmm. And so you think about the 14th Amendment and you're thinking about, oh, it's about discrimination and you know not discriminating about voting and everything. But then when we refer to it in my government class, the 14th Amendment is that, but it's also, you know, being able to... How it's applied. Yes, how it's applied and how any legislation under Congress applies to the states. And Mm -hmm. so it's crazy how a lot of people are unaware of that. I was ignorant to that as well when I walked into that class. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy how, you know, not a lot of people aren't as informed as you would want them to be. So that's that, that is something I have been looking into and seeing if I would, you know, write articles or something for a newspaper or mm-hmm. magazines, different things like that, where I can be able to bring light to people. Right, right, exactly. On the flip side of that, unfortunately, given all the information that's available, right, through mm-hmm. social media, whether it's self-generated information like Instagram, mm-hmm. or Twitter, or others generated information like YouTube, or, mm-hmm. you know, or, or even TV, streaming, all... Yes. All of these information streams are just bombarding us. As somebody who basically born into this mm-hmm. age, how do you think people can find the different perspectives to help them form more informed opinions? I think it's really difficult nowadays. It I, I, it's really difficult for me to find information that's unbiased or different from mine, mm-hmm. but it's something that you yourself have to be dedicated to. So. Right. Uh, although I have a very specific view on something, mm-hmm. I have to actively look for something that goes against it and mm-hmm. see all of their points right. and see because there's facts on both sides. It's just how you interpret it. You know? right. right. And so a lot of times it's you have to go to the other side and see, well, why do you do things like that? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how you either change your opinion or you form a stronger argument for the opinion that you originally had. Yes. So um, it's kind of like going for your counter-argument when you're writing an essay and saying, well, yes, I understand that, but this is why it, it also backs up my argument as to mm-hmm. why this is better. I think you just have to really actively look for the different sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and in social media, because you can choose to block things from your mm-hmm. timeline and you can choose to censor different things, I think that... That becomes really problematic when you want to form a solid argument. Right. I think it it's more on, you know, you investigating yourself and then also choosing news sources that aren't biased. Right. Um, so, right. you know, like NPR, National Public Radio, very unbiased news reportings and everything like that. So you don't have to lean on one side or the other. Right, right. Personally, from from my experience, I find that every publication has its own bias. Yes. Because no matter what, they're human-made. Yes. These are human-made articles, and every human being, no matter how objective they try to be, they still come from whatever background Mm -hmm. they were brought up in or whatever background they have or whatever access to information they have. So to add to what you're saying, to me, it's about, as you said, this active seeking out of information, mm-hmm. of information even from the other side, mm-hmm. and, and to 
go even beyond that to ask them, why do you form this opinion? To understand their perspective, how they came to it. Because something that might not make any sense to us at all when we are just hearing the result of somebody's decision, if we were to ask that person, if we get a chance to ask that person, and they tell us all of their perspective, all the reasons that went into that particular decision, it might come to make sense for us Yes. at the end. So I try to read from as many journalistic sources, papers within the U.S., radio shows within the U.S., and also outside, because sometimes when you read international papers, they offer a different perspective. They might have their own agenda in offering that perspective, but still it's a perspective that your domestic papers might not cover. Yes. I have read a few international papers. I used to be in this program called the International Baccalaureate. So basically it's um, a curriculum where students in different countries uh, are learning the same thing at the same time, right? Oh, great. And so it's really interesting. It's very rigorous. We have to see international documents and sources, and we have to investigate what their stance is on it and why it is that and what their agenda is um, and why they would want to influence their audience in a Mm -hmm. certain way. It's about being open-minded and about going back and trying to see all of these different perspectives so that you can learn more about it. Right. And I think that's really probably one of the most important things is not just being so close-minded about your own opinion, but being open-minded about it. And if you still have your opinion on that particular topic, then so be it. But I'm sure that seeing different perspectives probably changes your opinion on at least one of those things. Right. One of your certain topics that you stand for because different people's experiences really can affect you when they tell you about it. Kind of like with my poem, if someone who came from a very wealthy neighborhood and never had to experience anything was always about, you know, being harder on crime and, you know, incarcerating everyone and everything. Right. And then we met and we shared and we had a discussion. I'm sure they could influence me and I could influence them just the same. So it it is about seeking different sources and different perspectives outside of the one that you're living in. Right. Because if I were to ask someone in my neighborhood, yeah, we're going to have the same opinion. We're going to want to solve it in a similar way. Mm -hmm. Or it's really about seeing an outsider and Mm -hmm. involving them and you know, including them into the conversation so that everyone is understood and so that you can form a better understanding of each other. Right. And it goes back to what you said earlier when we were talking about your poem and you were saying certain youths, their dilemma are not being addressed partly because there are so many emergencies that Mm -hmm. government have to deal with or the local government have to deal with. And because there is only a certain amount of money they have, Mm that they have to prioritize. And it's really nice to hear that you acknowledge that that is one of the reasons why sometimes people's problems are not being addressed. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I think it's important for those policymakers to come and see Mm -hmm. maybe what seems like an emergency. I mean, it is an emergency. At the same time, if you also shift the resources a little bit and 
place it on the prevention programs, mm -hmm. you could save much money later on. Yes, I agree. A lot of the times the emergencies that come up are mm -hmm. caused by what could have been prevented. Right. And they, they have to deal with the emergency now, and then they'll deal with prevention later, but it never gets to that because another right. emergency comes up right. and it's something else this time. Right. And so I think it's helping with that emergency, but then also funding into prevention as well. I'm in sports medicine, so what we learn all the time is prevention is better than treatment. So right. if you can prevent an injury, that's so much better than having to deal with the treatment later because right. it's a much longer, more costly um, process, process yeah. than preventing it is. Yeah, it's, it's very true. So this is the track you're in in high school. Is that what you're going into in college? In college, I have been kind of flip-flopping around. I want uh, When I walked into high school, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I was like, you know, I'm going to be a psychologist, or you know what, I might be president. You know, I was throwing ideas around. Right. And now I think um, I've come to a more solid foundation of going into chemistry and studying some athletic training as well, because my... I think one of my core values is helping people right. and I really enjoy doing sports medicine and helping athletes out a lot of times because they don't know how to help themselves. <laughs> so um, I, I want them to have somebody to lean on when their ankle is rolled or something, you know. Right. That's kind of where I'm leaning towards with a minor in, in English um, or something in the arts, yeah. Right, right. Uh, don't forget journal journalism, oh, yeah, journalism or yeah. even you know law because you have the perspective and you have the foundations I feel that desire for justice the desire for looking at different perspectives yeah uh, I feel like a lot of it has just come through experience and it's just um, you know how you say like there's a lot of injustice and I really want to be part of the solution mm -hmm. even now in my school there's this thing that we have called a sweep and basically if you're late to a class and you're still roaming the halls they gather you up and they send you to a room and you stay there the entire period or if you walk into the office and you're late and you don't have a parent with you they send you to that room right so you're okay. there for the entire class and you can't use the computer that they give you to do work you, all of the work that you can do is on like paper and pen, right? Okay. I was put in that room for the first time in my entire like high school career, and I was mortified. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was like, I was with, like a little goody two shoes. So I was like, why am I in here? I've never done anything wrong before. I emailed the principal, and he's a new principal, and he and I are really we have a good relationship going on, you okay. know. So I emailed him and I told him, why is this still a thing? Why are we still doing this? Why aren't we? Why are we still dealing with this program that we've had in place for like 20 years? Why aren't we creating a better solution? Mm -hmm. It may have worked back then, but it's not working now anymore because yeah. I know several students that were walking into that class and were like high-fiving the teacher and they, they just thought of it as a free period rather than a punishment. Right. And so I think a lot of it is coming up with reform. That's what I want to see more. I want to be an advocate for reform mm -hmm. rather than be an advocate for punishment and just being stricter on laws. Because if it's not working anymore, maybe it's a problem with the law, no longer with society, because society changes. Right, right, definitely.
Yeah, and society tends to change before laws do. Yes. Yeah. In the meantime, where can we find you? Where do you read? I'm mostly on Instagram now. You can find me at the dot l-u-p-e dot castro that's my main instagram now for basically anything that involves poetry or anything like medical like athletic training or different things like that you can see um anything like any open mics that i'm going to i usually post the day before okay. um things like that yeah okay nice, nice. do you have any events that you you'll be speaking at or you'll be reading at uh, coming up right now i'm looking towards uh, open mics that are in the Mesa area so there's a coffee shop called Jared's that which is where right. uh, I met you for the first time yeah and uh, I, I'm planning on going there a little bit more being Great. more um, a frequent goer there yeah. and uh, as well as the wordplay cafe that's hosted at the Nile yes yeah. Um, so that's uh, those are the two that I'm going towards right now I'm also going to be in a competition between high schools and oh, wonderful. So um, you can see me there. I don't know all of the dates yet, okay. but if you follow me on my Instagram again, at the.lupe.castro, you'll see me post more about that as it comes closer. Okay, okay. And I'm going to put that information in the episode notes okay. so that people can find you, and I'll put the link, your Instagram link there all right. as well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for talking with me on the show. It was a pleasure. I really liked our discussions and, you know, yeah, everything. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> talking with you and listening to your hopes and your insightfulness really gives me hope for our future. Oh, I appreciate that. I think that our future is going to be brighter with our more informed youth. Great, great. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And that concludes the February 17th episode of Poets and Muses. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Twitter, as well as Instagram at Poets and Muses. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter at the upper right-hand side of our Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to bringing you the show again next Sunday.